Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We've got a busy morning this morning. Our first half hour, Linda Johnson from Prevent Child Abuse will be joining us. Second half hour from 9.30 to 10, Mike Smith, who's the interim president of the Vermont State University, will be joining us to talk about uh, a newly released report on uh, what he's recommending to do uh, at the university um, to get them through their financial crisis and a few other uh, problems that they're uh, that they're addressing so that should be very interesting discussion and for the last hour we have Naomi Hindell who's the executive director of the North Branch Nature Center um, and they have got some amazing things happening over at the center. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to say um, I'm glad Linda could join us today because about two days ago I got an email from PCAVT and the subject line read recovery happening. And I was so delighted to read this news that I called Linda up and asked her to come on the show to share the good news. As, as you may remember, Linda uh, came on the show right after the flood. And it was hard to listen to what happened to her offices, as many others, um, their offices as well, were just destroyed. So to hear that things are moving along and, and PCAVT is recovering was a, a great uh, thing for me to read. Um, and so now, Linda, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Pat, for having me. Well, you're welcome. I was just for transparency, as the word said, I was on the board of directors for uh, PCAVT for quite a while and uh, fell in love with Linda and all the work that she does. So um, uh, so on your email, Linda, you sent out, you kind of put things, thank yous, into two sort of groups. One was consistent family support. You said thank you. And two was for your keeping newborns safe and thriving. Could you talk about what happened in both those areas? and what level of support that you got from people. Sure. Thank you so much, Pat, again, for having me. No problem. To the, to the fore. Uh, our family support programs, you know, are group-based programs that since COVID have been meeting mostly virtually and not in person. So if you do choose to meet in person. And... Um, our staff just, you know, kept going without a breath in between the flood and their next group meeting and kept all of our programs alive and meeting weekly and, um, you know, supporting parents in between meetings. And these are parents who are really struggling with um, taking care of their children. Most of them, their children are in foster care. But all parents are welcome. And, um, you know, they're, they're working hard to learn the best parenting skills that, you know, we can share with them so they can safely bring their children home. And, you know, that is what that is all about. And so make, you know, not having that happen was just right. So we just kept going and I, I have the most fantastic staff. I mean, we're really so blessed. People are dedicated and they love the work and 
they love these families. And so that is what's going on with the circle of parents, nurturing caring programs, and strengthening family programs. But one hiccup we've had is with our telephone line and our Vermont Parents Helpline. It's very complicated. We've had all the right people together at the same time in the office, but we can't transfer to whoever is on helpline. So we have to take their information and then contact our person on helpline to have them call that person back. And sometimes there's, you know, not a telephone number to call back. So it's it's a, it's very that's sad, very worrisome. To right. me. It's very worrisome for all of us, and uh, we cannot wait to uh, move into our new office because our old office is just um, really uh, not going to be able to accommodate us healthfully anymore. And that was very disappointing. We loved our office, and we're so sorry to leave. But we have the most wonderful landlord, Steve Ribellini, yep. and um, he has got us into, or will soon, another one of his buildings at One Blanchard Circle. And it's the building to the right of the police station in Montpelier. So we'll still be in Montpelier, but we'll be higher and dry. Oh, that sounds very welcoming, doesn't it? Because yeah. could you explain to people, you were just wiped out. This was a fairly new office to you because you left the golf course um, uh, because of the the work that the Montpelier is doing up uh, up on the lands up there. And you lost just about all of your materials, correct? Correct. Uh, we actually were... Well, we were prepared for uh, the fall programming in schools and with families and all of our sexual abuse prevention work, and we were we were really full in terms of inventory, and we lost about ninety percent of everything, wow. uh, which was uh, quite devastating. For sure, and people have been wonderful in sending us contributions, and they're still coming in which we so appreciate because um, uh, we lost over, you know, about $80,000 worth of materials wow. and and um, our insurance was $30,000. Oh, so ouch. we really, really needed help. Right. Yeah, and you yeah. also, uh, we should talk about, just to remind people, your big fundraiser every year is the Walk for yeah. Children. and. Um, it's not going to be a walk for children as it has traditionally been. Could you talk about um, what's going to happen to that uh, event so people can yes, help and participate? Uh, I mean, we we had it virtually, so to speak. We we said to everybody, you know, walk where you are. You know, do anything where you are. Um, raise funds, send them in, send us your photos. We'll post them online, all that kind of stuff. And so that is actually what happened last weekend on Saturday. And we were just so pleased, again, with the response. But it wasn't even close to what we would normally have raised. You know, we were hoping to raise 80000 from our walk this year. And instead, um, with some luck of a couple of matching grants, we are raising 50000 So... You know, again, there's that gap. Right. And, um, yeah. But well, 
That's why you have to. Well, I think people need to be reminded, and this state is so generous, and I'm sure you'll agree with that. um, That even though things look okay on the surface when you go through Barry and Montpelier and around Vermont, it's not. And um, uh, I I hope people aren't looking and going, oh, everything's back, you know, back the way it should be. But there's still a lot of work to be done. And and uh, organizations like Prevent Child Abuse Vermont still need help. Um, Linda, can you talk to people a little bit if they so choose to to donate some money? How can they do that? And then we'll continue on with the, the discussion. They can go to PCABT at PCABT.org. And there's a donate button, and um, and you know we really really appreciate any size donation makes a difference. Linda, I wanted to talk about um, all that you do uh, remotely or virtually. Um, most of your programs are sort of train the trainer, um, if that's the right uh, explanation. Um, you, I, I googled Linda Johnson, and all of these emails popped up. On my uh, on my machine from talking about all the stuff you're offering, and I I I guess when they come in one at a time, you don't really notice how much you're doing. And um, the three that came in most recently, and I'd like you to talk about each one of them: overcoming barriers to protecting children from sexual abuse, nurturing health healthy sexual development. And the Healthy Relationship Project. Could you take each one of those and um, for the next few minutes or so, 15 we've got, um, could you uh, talk about them and and what the message is and and how you train the trainer? Sure. Well, we've been doing child sexual abuse prevention work for about 30 years, Pat. And we started because we, we realized looking at the very first DCF report that was printed, that child sexual abuse had become the number one form of child abuse reported and founded in Vermont. And so we got busy learning what would prevent child sexual abuse. And we learned that it needed to be developmentally appropriate for children, trauma-informed for all uh, participants, children and adults, and it really needed to address both victim prevention and victimization prevention because at the time, half of all child sexual abuse was committed by youth under the age of 20. Mm. And I can tell you that since we've been doing our work, that is down 77%. Wow. And victims are down 66%. And there are about five different studies, national and even international, looking at Vermont to say, what the heck is going on there? What are you doing? What's your secret sauce? And so our secret sauce is the Healthy Relationships Project. And that means that we've got three curricula for schools from preschool up through high school. And we have nine, actually 10 different trainings for adults. And those adults can be parents, faculty and staff in schools, social workers, home visitors, guardian ad litem, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, any adult, grandparents, anybody, professional or not professional, who wants to know, how can I protect my children? Because children just do not protect themselves. Only 20% of children tell in the first year 
and goes down from there. The average age for telling is 52. So now I'll tell you about our training for adults. Linda, can I can I interrupt you a minute? The yes, average age for telling is fifty yes, two. Yes. What I I'm, that blows me my mind. Why I is know. that? I should have said sit down. Yes. Yeah. We don't fall. What? It's really shocking. But yeah. Think about it. You know, when someone is raped, how often do they go well, to the police department and tell? Right. Even the first year. Wow. I, I they just, want to put it behind them. Huh. That's for an adult. Oh, that just—I can't imagine a child. How can they even possibly even think about it? Never mind talk about it. That's just fifty-two. That's staggering. I'm sorry, it I didn't is. mean to interrupt you, but I—I no. I had to ask. <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I'm sure your viewers are going, "What? Yeah, what, right. What did you say? That's ridiculous. Right, fifty-two—the oh average age for telling." which is why it's an adult's responsibility to protect children in the first place. Right. So we need knowledge and we need skills in order to protect children because they cannot and will not, in most instances, the vast majority protect themselves. And we don't ask them to protect themselves from oncoming traffic or from any other form of abuse. We don't. Yep. Why in the world would we think they could protect themselves from sexual abuse, especially when it's most often somebody in the family or close to the family, someone they love, respect, hooked up to, depend on? Oh, amazing. Yeah. Can I ask yeah. you, you uh, had one of your staff come in when I was on the board, and she had a, a life-size baby doll with her. And she yes. was going through, and I don't know the name of the program, and I apologize, but she was trying to show us what bad touches were so that they could tell children this is a bad touch. This is not a good thing. I don't remember no. that, but it was no. so impactful. Actually, I think you're blending two things. Uh-oh. I love you dearly. That could be. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Um, we don't do the good touch, bad touch model uh-huh. at all. We don't ask children to discern what feels good, what doesn't look huh. good, what's safe, what's not, because they're children. Um, and most sexual abuse is not violent. So it's complicated for children. So what am I thinking of? But you're thinking of shaken baby syndrome prevention where the our staff person, Ann Shangra, right. came in and shook a baby doll, and if it was the baby doll I'm thinking about, its brain lit up in all the places that there would be damage. And we're still doing that program, and we do it all over Vermont, and in about a third of all the high schools every year, because that is the limit of our resources. Um, but we just added someone to Anne's team, and that is um, somebody wonderful who is doing safe sleep promotion and teaching people how to safely put a baby down for sleep on their back. I mean, again, a lot of this is not the way we grew up. No. But, you know, put the baby on the belly and, you know, soft yeah. things in the crib and bumpers. None of that is safe. None of that. Huh. And we're, we're losing six to nine babies a year. And so the legislature stepped up and gave us these additional monies to start the safe sleep program. 
and we're very grateful, and we only hope it will continue because it's not in the budget as far as we know for next year. Um, You know, I, I would like to say with the greatest respect for our governor and our legislature, um, we totally get it that housing and food and reconstruction are huge priorities and enormous needs. But we still have families right. and we still have families who are struggling to raise children and to keep children safe. And we mustn't pull back from that, whether it's for Prevent Child Abuse Vermont or Parent Child Centers or mentoring or anybody else. We still have to take care of our children. So, And I'm sure with the stress of the flooding, maybe them losing their uh, their places to live, it hasn't helped any uh, with relationships at home and the dynamics. Yes, you're precisely right. Right. And we've had a lot of, um, you know, pain if you will, uh, expressed in our groups from people who've been displaced. Um, It's it's just really heartbreaking. Linda, we have about five minutes left, and I'd I'd love to hear from you what – What's going? What's most important right now? Um, and obviously, you're talking about the children of Vermont. Um, yeah. What would you like to see happen and, ha- and have people know? You're you're continuing your work. Your staff is amazing, but there's a lot of a lot of stress out there. And people, oh my God, Melinda, people are so angry. Mm-hmm. I, I, you must see that in your in your meetings. Yes, people are very frustrated, very angry. Um, sometimes despondent, um, and and we see that in in our trainings around the state, doing all kinds of things. I mean, I, I want you to know we're also starting a trafficking program, because I mean, I just would never have believed it, but a couple of years ago we had 41 kids trafficked in Vermont, and so that is something else that the legislature stepped up and gave us a little bit of money to start a trafficking prevention program going into schools and, again, working with adults to look for the signs and um, and make a report and protect their children. So, you know, we have every ailment yep. that, you know, folks have nationwide and worldwide And the opioid crisis has had a huge impact on parenting and being safe, even as for infants, because that's when kids get rolled over on and then accidental asphyxiation can easily occur in the crook of an arm. So, Well, and I know the trafficking is real. It's here and people Mm -hmm. don't see it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I had a woman on, on my TV show. That came from New Hampshire. It was happening in the house next to her. Long story. And all of a sudden, one night, there's bells and whistles and, and mm. red lights and stuff. And they, these children were living in cages in the house next to her. And she got oh. so involved in this. She was here for quite a mm. while talking about this issue that it mm. is here in Vermont. And we need to be, you know, see something, say something. Just be aware of what's going on around you. Well, please have us back, and oh, I will. I'll bring the staff with me, and they can talk about these programs and how people can reach us. We're 1-800-CHILDREN. If you want a program coming to your school or your community group or your uh, community of faith, we'd be happy to talk 
and and present to anybody who doesn't run away from us. <laughs> Great, and you're at one. You're going to be at one Blanchard Circle, and a shout out to Steve Ribellini. He, you're yes. right. He's a great guy. He's um, he's done a lot for Vermont and for uh, Montpelier, and we thank him very much for taking such good care of you. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So uh, that's Linda Johnson, who is the executive director for Prevent Child Abuse. And coming up is Mike Smith, who's the interim president of the Vermont State University. And he's just relieved a draft report that everyone, as we speak, is reading and commenting on. So um, stay tuned uh, to hear from Mike Smith, who's with us live in the studio. So I'm psyched about that. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV, and joining me in the studio is Mike Smith, who's the interim president of Vermont State University. And Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for be- having me, Pat. Yeah, this is so cool. And now you usually sit on the other side here for, for a while. What did you tell me, three years you were on WDEV? Three years I was on WDEV, cool. and this uh, studio has not changed <laughs> Exactly. <at all. laughs> I think the dust is still the same. I just told him, Mike, there's a box of peeps that I stare at every time I'm on the, the show, and I touched them one day. I couldn't stand it anymore. They are like cement. <laughs> So if anybody comes in here to do harm, we're going to bop them with with peeps because that'll protect us. It's incredible. It's disgusting. But anyway, we love it here. Um, so, Michael, um, what was about uh, August of 2023? They called you up and said, Mike, come back out of retirement. Michael, what possessed you to do that? Well, it was interesting. It was April of uh, 23, oh, okay. and one of the things – I, I did get a call, and I really thought about it because I've retired, obviously. Right. And I said, you know, these institutions um, uh, that make up Vermont State University are so important <laughs> to the state of Vermont. And as you know, Pat, you have done this as well as I have. You know, we've sort of dedicated our lives to the state of Vermont, and I really thought – because these, this university is so important to the state of Vermont, I really need to do what I can to help out. But at the same time, I didn't want to sort of divert from the retirement plan that I had. So I did put a time limit on it for six months right. because I would be looking for another house if I went uh, further Excuse than me. that. No. So, uh, you know, I, Mary and I discussed it and we thought if I can do it for six months, I think it meets um, the goal that I had, which is I love this state. I want to make sure that it this institution thrives into the future because it's so important to the workforce in Vermont. Seventy percent of our students are Vermonters, and we we produce the workforce of Vermont. So that's why I came out of retirement. That's why I put a limit on the time I was here, and that will be ending at the end of this month. I sort of laughed. <coughs> Sorry, I'm joking. I sort of laughed when, uh, when you said about your wife. <coughs> Sorry, um, because I thought, oh, I get that. My husband's always doing that to me a little bit because I, I do in this. And I think a lot of you know, and I have to give kudos to Mike uh, for his work as Secretary of Human Services. You've certainly picked good times to join 
join these things um, because that's when COVID hit, right? And that's, you and Mike Pichek, whom I love. I yeah. love Mike. He's a great guy. He, he is a great guy. Yeah, and Dr. Levine, who everybody, all older people love Dr. Levine. They're like, <laughs> and then, of course, he's the got groupies. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, the governor, you guys really got us through. And I thank you for that because I really – look forward to to the press conferences and to find out what's happening and I think that was great transparency and thank you for that well th- it was th- good thank you Pat I you know it all starts at the top and the governor said we're just going to tell it the way it is right. out there and I think Vermonters really responded to that by saying you know we're going to do this um, we're not going to hype it we're not going to try mm-hmm. to make it political let's just say what right. what's happening on the ground what we're seeing happening on the ground and that was, I think, really good for the state of Vermont. The the people of this state are just wonderful. I mean, the yeah, way they reacted true. through COVID, you know, when we had testing programs, they showed up at the testing programs. When we had vaccination programs, they showed up at the vaccination uh, programs. Just amazing. You know, I, this is why I love this state. Yeah. All the people <laughs> that just really responded yeah. together to really look out for their neighbors. Yeah, and I will say just as a viewer, um, we know when you're, you know, kind of not telling us, putting the, well, the lipstick on the pig, is that the expression? Uh, and so we appreciated the facts, you know, yeah. just just tell it like it is. We get it. So yeah. good for you. And I didn't get angry at all <laughs> with some of the questions. Really? I know, don't you love it? You're sitting home going, are you serious? Or he just answered that. Those are the ones I love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, just as I just said 10 seconds ago, if you were listening, but anyway, that's good. So then you take on another challenge. And um, I had uh, the Chancellor Zadotny on as well as uh, the trustee chair, Lynn Dickinson, who's a, a representative as well, uh, and the show and I, uh, they worked, they worked really hard and what we appreciated was the transparency. That website involving the students, involving the, the community. I think that was, that was a good thing and I think it, um, probably, I don't assume helped you a little bit that these connections were there. That it wasn't hard to find out what was wrong, what needs to be fixed. Yeah, um, it, it, that sort of groundwork really helps in terms of somebody coming in under a situation that they weren't expecting to come in. So you kind of lay the groundwork. And when I came in, I had three goals. One was, you know, we've got to get accredited um, as right. a university. So I really focused on that in terms of my first month. The second was we got to launch the university once it's accredited. And we did that on July 1. Right. Now I'm starting to focus on, okay, let's look to the future. How do we become sustainable into the future? As you know, in uh, FY23, we ended with a $22 million deficit. Now, right. that was not, you know, unforeseen. People knew that we were going to do that. The legislature has been very generous uh, with us, over $200 million, to help us with bridge funding to get through the fact, get through the, the multiple years it's going to take us to reduce that deficit. But I really am appreciative of what the legislature and the governor have done with uh, with helping us do 
that. But we have some work to do right. to be fiscally right. sustainable in the future. And this is what we're starting to tackle right now is looking at um, various things. We, we've done a report called Optimization 2.0. It looks at our future courses that we'll be offering um, into into the future, starting in 2024, and it makes some recommendations based upon a couple of things. Are students interested in our <laughs> courses? Right. And we can see that through enrollment as we, you know, is it relevant to the students? Do the students really want these types of courses? And there's several courses that are very under-enrolled right, and right. as we look forward. Secondly, um, is it sustainable? Um, obviously, when you have low enrollment, it costs more to keep that course going than the revenue you're getting for that course. So is it relevant in terms of A, for the student through enrollment? Is it relevant to the university in terms of fiscal stability? And is it relevant to the state of Vermont? In it, Are we producing what the state of Vermont needs? And that was some, those are just a few of the things we looked at when we looked holistically at are 99 courses that we, uh, 99 degree programs that we have at this university. By the way, our peer organization, organizations have about 50. Uh, wow. And so there's a big difference. Big difference is right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, one of the things that I've learned, I'd be doing this no matter what the circumstances are at our university, even if we didn't have the budget deficit and even though I wasn't looking um, at, you know, some things that need to be done, I would be doing this only because you've got to keep relevant in, right. uh, in higher education. And if your students aren't interested in what you're offering or number two, you, you aren't um, – it isn't fi- uh, fiscally sustainable – then no matter what your financial situation is, I think you've got to critically look at yourself. Right. Good for you. Well, I think that's in your blood, Michael, from what I remember from years past working with you. So it's all about, of course, the state employees hate the words efficient and effective, but that's that's what makes things go. That's what makes it work. So can we talk about um, what you've recommended? Sure. Because uh, I must say... Two of the things you recommended as far as uh, classes closing over the next two years surprised me, sadly, and we can talk about that. So why don't you just jump right in and and maybe go over the report? Sure. In July, we got together a 22-member working group, and we said, what are the things that we need to look at in terms of looking at these 99 courses, uh, 99 degrees and their associate degrees or bachelor's degrees that we looked at? And one of the things, you know, that we said is we, we've got to come up with metrics. At the beginning, I said this, look, if we can agree on some metrics that we can use in order to apply to look at these various degree programs, what I will do is I will make the final decision because I didn't want to pit faculty against faculty. I just didn't think that was right. fair. And there were faculty on this committee uh, that we had formed. So over the over the course, starting in July, we met almost weekly. I think there were twice we didn't meet on, on, on a weekly basis. And after each of that meeting, talking about trying to be transparent, right. I would send out an email 
to all faculty and all staff, just summarizing what we were discussing um, throughout that. In the fall, the committee met for the last time, and I took all those sort of recommendations and and things we were looking at. And what we're looking at were enrollment. Um, what's the five-year enrollment in these courses? What is the fiscal status of these courses? And and I can I can say right now that many of the courses that were recommended for consolidation or uh, discontinuation, they weren't even meeting their direct costs, never mind overhead wow. costs and, and, and all of that. Um, we looked at uh, faculty-to-student ratio um, because we really want to get to where our peer organizations are, um, 18 to 1 in terms of class That's size. Right. And, and we we looked at campus identity. You know, where can these programs thrive? Where can they have a better chance of thriving uh, if you locate them on, on which campus? And then lastly, are these critical needs of the state of Vermont and also um, the university? And, you know, nursing, for example, is a critical need. Right. Uh, you know, engineering is a critical need. We we need to make sure that even though if some of those programs are not up to where they need to be on those other criteria, that we keep critical need uh, programs and figure out how we're going to sustain those That's in good. the future. We just had a great conversation off mic, uh, and I hope that we can go through all those things so you understand why these decisions were made, because they make a whole lot of sense to me. Go ahead, Mike. Well, what we recommended, Pat, mm-hmm. was that, first of all, no current student will be impacted by these recommendations. It, with these start in 2024. If you're in a degree program now, we will teach you out into um, so that you get your degree, that you graduate and get your degree on that. So what we're recommending, and again, no no current student would be impacted. We have uh, 10 programs that we're recommending for discontinuation mm-hmm. beginning in the fall of 2024. Just to give you some sense of that, and like I said, no current students will be impacted, but just to give you some sense of it, right now current enrollment in these programs is 77 students, which represents um, less than 2% of the student wow. body. So yeah. just do the math. If we're eliminating 10 programs with 77 students, you can see how low enrolled right. these these uh, programs are, very uh, low enrolled. And then we're recommending uh, 13 programs uh, are are for consolidation. We really thought, you know, maybe if we bring these programs together, they can thrive and and find ways to consolidate some of these programs. And that's what we did in this report. Thirteen programs are recommended for consolidation, streamlining, strengthening. We think if you do that, this, these programs may have a future. They may have been in, you know, in the red in terms of fiscally. Right. They may have had low enrollment, but we think if you bring them together, um, they can thrive. And then we had 11 programs that um, are, were recommending change of locations. We think that if you change the locations, it has a better home huh. to thrive. Could For you example, give us, oh, thank you. Give yeah, us an example. Yeah, let me, let me give you an example. We, we thought, for example, the theater programs um, that are now in Johnson would better, would better thrive 
thrive in Castleton because of the theater programs that they have there, and that the fine arts program in Castleton would better thrive in Johnson huh. because of all the art community that is in Johnson. Right. And, and so those sort of things that we recommended. This will have an impact, although it won't have an impact on students, it will have a future impact on faculty. So, you know, we are looking at reducing our faculty count um, by 20 to 33 positions. We currently have 207 faculty. Um, I'm looking at a buyout program in terms of seeing what we can do. But frankly, if we don't get the uptake from the buyout program, we will have to um, we will have to issue layoff notices by contract. I have to do that in October for the end of the academic year in May. So you know those we're trying to make sure that we're fair, that we're offering some buyouts here right. um, in right. programs that will be effective. <laughs> affected. We're looking about two point one to three point three five million in savings over the next two wow, years. That's now, hasn't the legislature, and I should have looked this up, put put out a you will um, identify X percent, X yeah. dollars this year, next year? Because yeah. I remember Sophie talking about that. Uh, yeah. That's big, big numbers. Yeah. It, it, and to be fair, the legislature has been very, and the yeah. governor have been very generous to this. Well, um, I think it, they understand the importance yes. of making this work. So what they have said is, you know, we're going to give you money and we're going to help you uh, take over multiple years take that de- that structural deficit down we started with 25 million right. we ended this year with 22 million we'll end next year or this current year with 17 million and so over the next we'll 5 years down. bring it down uh, in 5 million dollar increments yeah. we you know a lot of people have said well is that a good deal yeah it's a <laughs> really good deal and and i would take that deal any day um the, the very generous you know we have to do this to move forward we it, you know even if it wasn't um, sort of a priority of ours and a, sort of a partnership with the legislature. I think we should be doing this anyway. Sure. Um, right. as I said about relevancy right. in, in the beginning. So these are sort of the recommendations you, you had mentioned, you know, what, what sort of recommendations? And I know one of them that you you want to talk <laughs> about is agriculture. We are talking about eliminating um, or discontinuing. By the way, ag is already in the teach-out phase. Right, um, right. So there's an agriculture program that's already in the teach-out phase. There's uh, landscape design and forestry that are also on the track. Uh, photography is another one right. that's uh, on the track for um, for discontinuation. We just didn't have the numbers, but let's stick with agriculture for a minute because agriculture is being taught out. We also have um, the landscape design. We also have the forestry in what is called agriculture. We just aren't attracting Vermonters to those programs. And what I've said to the working group, because we do have a working group that right. are, that's looking at this, find me um, – and we'll offer them, find me courses that will attract Vermonters because right now those courses are right. very low enrolled. Yep. We're underwater in any metric that you look at in those courses. I think I mentioned to you at, at break that I had heard that there's a lot of young people, but they're not getting into the traditional what we would call farming. They're more organic 
flowers, different things like herbs and different things like that. So maybe it's not so much agriculture, as you said, it's, uh, and as you agree that it was the, what we're teaching. Because yeah. this is a, this is an agricultural state. That, that's right. I mean, you know, and, and let's look at degree programs. Let's look at certificate programs. Right. Craft, uh, brewing, you know, brewing is, yes. is, is something that maybe we should look at. Right. Distilling and those sort of things that are, you yeah. know, Vermont's becoming known for are some of the things that we can do on a certificate program. We have a meat cutting program right now, um, that we're doing on a certificate that's program. Great. And, you know, I, I, I just want people to know that these, programs, agriculture is important to us as a state institution because we employ, I mean, we send out the the students that Vermont, Vermont, you know, uh, everybody, Vermont employers employ, you know, 70, like I said before, 70% of our, of our students are Vermonters. And so we are the workforce. We're training the workforce out there. So we got to find something that attracts students to Randolph um, in agriculture that they find relevant. And right now, we've just got to redesign, rethink that. Oh, and um, I think we've touched upon all the goals you had written in a in a commentary on September 18th in Vermont Digger, which I would encourage people to look up because it's very interesting. And you said we are forging a new path, a new way offering programs to students on campus and online that provide a clear and affordable path to a great job and a future here in Vermont. And I wanted to emphasize the word future. Are these students staying in Vermont? Do you have a handle on whether they're staying or because we need them here? We, we want we them here. I mean, <laughs> you know, there are some... Um, let me give one example. Construction management, for example, ah. very popular um, profession. Great pay when you go right. out. We are having problems. Our employers are having problems competing with out-of-state firms that can offer a lot more money. It's always been the case for, over the years. For right? those. We've got to find a way to yeah. figure that out as right. we move forward. I, I talk to construction companies, and they're, they're saying – Look, I, I can't compete with the big Boston firms, um, and and they're right, they can't. So we got to figure out a way as a state to make sure that some of our Vermonters. But most, you know, I went to the pinning, the nursing pinning uh, ceremonies down in. I went to all the pinning ceremonies, cool. and the, you know, when I was listening to where they were going. All Vermont, basically. Great. That's um, good to know. And so, you know, we're going to be expanding the nursing program. So, Great. So for those critical occupations, we need to expand. That's excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and I think uh, as I, I love the tech centers. I mean, we I work with Campaign for Vermont, and we put out a lot of articles supporting tech centers, always have. And I never understood years ago what the, oh, if you if you don't behave in school, we're going to send you to the tech center. Our employers need yeah. people from tech centers, and uh, that's really great. Thank you. Michael, what's that? Uh, I only have a couple of minutes left. You have a new president. We have a new president right. coming in. I'm here till the end of the month. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm going to be doing you know, I, the faculty have said, well, if you're looking at us, why don't you optimize your own administration as well? And I said, 
fine. Let's <laughs> let's right. let's do that right. because I really truly believe that um, we need to look internally as well in right. terms of right. what what where are the efficiencies? Where can we make better uh, judgments and be more effective? I'm fine with that. Yep. There's the music, Michael Smith. I can't thank you enough for coming uh, on the show with me. I appreciate it. Nice to see you. Nice it's to been see a while. You. Yes. You're looking thank good. You. Working helps, I think. But don't tell Mary that. All right. Thank you all. Stay tuned. We're having the executive director for the North Branch uh, Nature Center coming on, and it will be a fabulous hour. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike Smith. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Thank you.